Hey everybody, I'm Eric Tornberg, co-founder, partner, Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is an episode of Venture Stories, where we deep dive on topics relating to tech and business with some of the world's leading experts. And just to let you know, because we're talking about sex technology and sexual wellness, there is some adult language in this episode. Discretion may be advised if you're listening where younger ears can hear. Just a heads up. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Venture Stories by Village Global. Uh, I'm here today with three inspiring founders, all working in sex technology. Welcome to the prestigious Venture Stories podcast. (laughs) Thank you for having us. Can you please go around and introduce yourselves and, and what you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm Gina Gutierrez. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Dipsy. We're creating a headspace-like app for audio stories designed to turn women on. We think that there's a lot of opportunity to make content that actually makes millennial women excited, that isn't designed for the male brain, that kind of immerses you in a world, sets your mood, your mental state, makes you feel real good. So that's what we're making. Cool. That's amazing. Uh, I'm Polly Rodriguez. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Unbound. We're a sexual wellness company. We mainly focus on women and femme-identifying individuals. We make and sell vibrators, lubricants, and accessories direct to consumer. Hey, hey, hey. My name is Andrea Barica. I'm the CEO and founder of O-School. We're a shame-free place for anyone in the world with a smartphone to watch daily live streams on sex and pleasure. Awesome. So right before we started, we were just talking about how there's a sort of interesting paradox where sex is sort of the you know inspiration for so much technology we're saying how we had you know pay, uh, payments because of porn internet video because of porn virtual reality uh you know I was, I was just listening to an episode about spank chain and, and blockchain um and we were also at the same time it's it lags behind other industries in terms of you know uh, maturity or, or adoption let's talk about that paradox a little bit why why is that the case I, I mean I, I just think I can't speak too much of like the catalyst I feel like you probably Andrea are the most qualified to talk about that. So we'll talk why it's slow. Like, well, I think it's slow because we typically focus on women. And I think from a historical perspective, you had kind of a huge depletion of female designers and creatives in the space who were thinking about things from a different perspective. So things that are design centric, not phallic and put the customer first in terms of women. I think you just saw a dearth of that of people in leadership positions building those companies. And subsequently, I think that that perspective was lacking in the companies and what they're creating overall. I think it's also a huge question of gender as well. I don't think it's necessarily like sex tech as a category isn't seeing interest or investment or innovation. I think it's female focused that becomes the challenge where people innately assume or have this cultural expectation that women are asexual. And I think that that's just something that culture has told us, but it's not actually true. And so now people are starting to say, hey, let's start to address that. Let's address half the population, more than half the population that has similar needs that aren't getting addressed. But from an investment standpoint, if you think about how the porn world has been funded since its yeah. inception, it's, it operates in a different ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about the internet and the technologies that are involved in, in building the internet, it does feel like sometimes porn and everything else, yeah. right? And I've talked to people both in the adult world making hardcore pornography and yet you know, in my platform, for example, we are, you know, fully dressed people holding up vulva puppets and three models of clitorises, clitorati, uh, (laughs) and that is now treated like, or that sometimes is, is bunched in with porn. And we're also at a time when, you know, people don't actually 
know who's building and behind the porn that they're like mm-hmm. watching. And I think, although I think sex tech is not porn. And also I think that's one of the negative things that people's brains automatically, when you say sex tech, they go, Oh, porn. Right. And yet there's like $1.1 billion invested in femtech, which includes fertility and menstruation and all other things. And I think, I think all three of us founders here have to be voices in investment conversations and others where it's like, no, 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 there's way more to this industry than just porn and menstruation and fertility. Right. I think the whole fear complex too, that like letting people's sexuality be more accessible is something that should be something that we're afraid of versus something that means that people are more empowered and more in touch with themselves And that really is the goal here. I think earlier we were talking about, you know, how we, how we understand the differences in these things. And I think it's really interesting to think about sexual wellness as a part of your like vitamin regimen, right? You should be, you should be attending Mm -hmm. to your sexual wellness. It's not a candy. It's not a treat. And I think that porn is like seen as this like really drippy lollipop that like no one wants to get too close to. And it doesn't have to be like that. You know, how do you think about the tension between sort of, redefining porn versus like building way outside of like, that's its own thing. And we're going to build a whole new like sex tech economy. Like I guess what's the relationship there? I think that despite our own views on like on uh, whether it should be allowed, the truth is that the reason we can't have nice things is (laughs) LPs and Visa MasterCard. These are the two biggest barriers to innovation because no matter how many smart and awesome and, super like just social impact driven adult and porn like innovators out there. We have to kind of also view that as um, you still can't open a payment processing account or a bank account or, you know, and many investors choose just to stay away from the space. And so I think that that has to be, you know, that has to be brought to light. Yeah, for sure. Not to mention Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, like all the traditional customer acquisition channels that most startups have available to them, we are completely shut off from. So it doesn't like, I think one of the biggest problems is that it's both the inability to get capital and then the inability to have like financial infrastructure. And then also the inability to scale because you have to get really creative around like, how am I acquiring customers? How am I getting people to find out about my brand and what I do when all these really traditional channels are cut off to me, despite the fact that for all of us, we're not advertising sexually explicit imagery. We're not Mm -hmm. like, there's nothing within the content of what we're doing that would be considered inappropriate. It's just the fact that we sell, at least speaking from Unbound's perspective, like we sell products that are sexual in nature for women and that's okay. Erectile dysfunction drugs are allowed to take out sponsored ads on these platforms, but we're not. And Mm -hmm. I think for, for us, it's just, combined with all of the other marketplace tools that we do not have access to, it's infuriating because it's just, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with what we're doing, right? Like, I think it comes down to this fundamental question of, like, is sex bad or good? And I think there's this just basic law of nature that none of us would be here without it. And so how can we fundamentally say it's a bad thing? And you put your, you were an investor before starting old school. So Mm -hmm. put, put your investor hat on. You, you were just talking about the sex tech landscape. How, where do you see, like, where should investors who, you know, earlier you were mentioning you started an accounting company, you were super expert in the space, you, you got into it. How, where should other investors be looking at? Like, where are big opportunities? And also, how would you even slice up the landscape in terms of the different subgenres within it? Oh, man. Well, I'd love to hear from Polly and totally. Gina to help me fill in the space. Because we all, finally, before we started the podcast, we were talking about how we see kind of the different polar ends of our industries. I always say that with old school, we're trying to build a space that's in between Planned Parenthood and Pornhub. 
right? That's the two areas. So like, I'd love to hear those are theirs. Yeah. And we always say that we're between, um, just like the hyper medical and the hyper sexualized and we're the place in between for women to discover their sexuality. Yeah. And we were also (laughs) saying that we're kind of coming from three amazing different worlds that all overlap and are important to be combined together. So education and products and wellness and content. And I think they all have equal parts to play and kind of understanding the landscape of pleasure. Um, and I think those opportunities, even solidifying them to categories like that is something that is nascent for me. So I think it's nascent for other people as well. <laughs> yeah. I think investors absolutely need to be paying attention to this space. Again, like femtech has gotten attention mm-hmm. in 2016 yeah. femtech, which includes contraception, fertility, p- menstrual care, all these yeah. things got had gotten $1.1 billion in 2016. Mm-hmm. Very little of that was, was in sexual wellness. Mm-hmm. Like you have people like sustain and Newell and other kinds of, but again, still bordering on the medical, right? Yeah. Cause it's that Madonna and whore complex. It's, med- right? it's, it's a Madonna like, whore. It's like, yeah. you're, so it's, Madonna. That. Yeah, you're like, Madonna or you're, um, like, like the hyper hyper sexualized. And I think for a lot of like, like female and feminine identifying founders in the space, you're like, wait, 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 I don't identify really with either of those when it comes to like my actual sexuality. It's like, why are there not companies that are kind of like really talking about this pragmatically? Because those are very fringe. Those are both very fringe approaches to like what is like a very large ecosystem of of just needs and services and products. But so thank God for thanks, right? Thanks started putting things that were perceived as gross maybe and like putting mm-hmm. them out there in a way that felt like it could be made interesting and beautiful and like it grabbed attention. And I think the idea that, uh, that this space could like have room for design started to kind of per people's ear. Such a great point. And just, if you don't know, thinks is a underwear that you can menstruate directly on. You can free bleed. It was <laughs> quite a revolutionary product. <laughs> and I totally agree, Gina, like people were starting to think and Polly, I mean, one of the first founders I met in sex tech was Polly. And I was just amazed at just how much design I hadn't seen. And just to give you some background, Amazon does not win this category. Like for anyone, I don't know if Eric, I'll ask you a question, yeah. put you on the spot. What percentage of sex toys do you think are sold online today? Amazon, probably very few. So it's interesting. I either get all of them yeah. as an answer from investors or I get like very few. I get yeah. people think it's yeah. either or. And um, the latest, the numbers that I saw in like 2015 were still that only a quarter of sex toys are being right. sold online. I think there's lots of reasons for this. Well, I think yeah. that people don't want to be retargeted for, you know, their latex bodysuits and their dildos. Oh my God. It's such a horror story about being logged in my mom's Amazon account and doing market <laughs> research for dildos. Like literally one week later, I get a call, Polly, what were you doing on my Amazon Prime account? I'm getting all these targeted ads for dildos. And I was like, shit. She knew it was you. She knew. It's not a new person. But, but Amazon has 60,000 SKUs. Right. There's, there's gotta be um, places online that feel safe for people right. to get these toys. And um, the truth is that it's not, it's super fragmented. The opportunity in this category is massive. Also, you know, buying something on Amazon is a shelf. It's like a blank shelf and you're picking something off the shelf and you have no experience there. It's not a place that you like want to go. It's just the place that has it. And the difference between going to Unbound and Amazon is so distinct, right? You have a relationship, an experience. You have something that feels like it kind of could be you. It's meant for you. That's a whole right. different world. And so that shows the opportunity really there for people to start saying, okay, like let's let's legitimize this space by making it feel right, by making yeah. it feel beautiful, by making it feel good. There's, I mean, the opportunity is it's one percent right now. Only one percent right. is being scratched totally. off. Totally. So you guys are starting companies, you know, uh, old school at the intersection, like education and community, you know, unbound like products, you, you like also like content, entertainment, education, pleasure. What is sort of the, if someone listening to the podcast wants to start a company in sex tech, doesn't yet have the right idea, like what's another area that you think is a big opportunity outside of your own? 
I think the biggest opportunity is the stuff we haven't thought about. Like, I think about things from a, a, a big product perspective, but the vibrator was actually created before, like, the refrigerator or air conditioner. It's been around for an extremely long time. And I, when I talk to investors, it's kind of like, this is such a big component to everyone's life. And, like, there's no data. There's no research. There's very little just information available. And so I think when you think about the fact that, like, the segments that we think about, whether it's education, content, product, the unknown, I think the unknown is actually the biggest opportunity. Like, what are we not even thinking about that can be immersive, that can be experience driven, that can be, you know, something that we haven't even thought of yet, as opposed to just like reinventing what's already there. Right. I see it old school. We're focusing on people who aren't yet ready to like go into a sex store yeah. or um, I think that a lot of opportunities that I see are around just how much repression yeah. exists in the world. Um, I know that for me personally, I came to my sexuality really late. I grew up Filipino Catholic children of, Im- you know, child of immigrants. Um, we didn't talk about sex growing up and I see a lot of, of a really amazing products that are for sexually liberated communities. And the reason that I chose O school and the, the focus that we have um, creating education that people can access on their phones and live streaming is because I think that building for people now, and then there's also this like future generation, like Gen Z and millennials are just so much more sexually open. They're twice as likely to identify as LGBTQ. And there's that like future market of people who are going to have different views of their sexuality. And then there's these just markets all over the world and in the U S and that, there, there's a lot of people right now who are having bad sex who are not. And, and yeah, and I want to build upon that even further. I think the opportunity that I see is not necessarily to do things that are like wildly new. And maybe that's a cop out answer because I don't know what the wildly new things are. But there's so much opportunity to meet people in the middle, right? Who don't explore the deepest subreddits and who maybe even haven't ever been to Pornhub.com and maybe don't own a sex toy and start saying, this can be an accessible thing. This isn't that scary. This is approachable. This is normal. This is part of life. And the opportunity for, you know, millions of people who, like you're saying, don't have good sex right now. Like Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people like that out there for sure. Are there going to be macro forces changing sort of the way we talk about sex in the next like five years oh my god donald trump (laughs) like i mean seriously though like pussy was not in our vernacular three years ago and now it's a word that like i you know my grandma first pastor was like i'm gonna get a pussy hat and i was like holy shit grandma like it's weird to hear you say that word but i think amazing point that's so true it's true like i think for better or worse in the same way that when barack obama was elected gun sales went up when people feel like their rights are being threatened despite whether or not you agree with it, they become more vocal and more evangelical about defending those rights. And I think for a lot of people, when we see the attacks on Planned Parenthood, when we see the attacks on these basic rights to just reproductive services, which, you know, again, is on one side of the spectrum, all the way to like being able to be sexual without, you know, being questioned as like, can you be professional? Can you be thoughtful? Can you, can you be someone who's a credible individual while also being sexual? And I, and the answer overwhelmingly, I think is yes. And I think the biggest macro trend is definitely, at least from my experience in the last year and a half is what Donald Trump and the Republican legislature has done in terms of 
legislation mm-hmm. and just what they're trying, the narrative that they're trying to, to, to tell. So true. And if you think about the way that it's part of a broader cultural conversation now, people are talking about these topics with their parents. People are talking about these topics with people that they never would have imagined talking about them. They're like tripping into talking sex with people that they did not imagine. And I think that's going to have a huge implication for growth that companies in sex tech see where people are talking about their use of these products. It's not this thing that they're like hiding in their bedside drawers or not telling when they listen to on their iPhones. It's like, I do this. I listen to this. I need this. I love this. And they're talking about it. You know, it is really important that people start speaking out. And I think that one thing I'm noticing, because there's a lot of different conversations going on that don't seem to intersect, but they really do. So you have in one side, you've got the diversity in tech issue, right? Like there are not enough people of color and women getting funded and people are pissed about it. People are talking about it. Then you also have like, and I don't want to, you know, dominate this podcast with that, but you have me too. Right. And how does that affect, you know, how does it affect sex tech, especially women in sex tech? Um, I can say that people are really scared. Mm -hmm. And I think we need, we need to make space for that. Sure. Like people need to, um, there's a lot of, of work that needs to be done at the same time. Like Polly said, we are, we are complex beings with sexuality and for so long it's been just written out. And I believe that as, as you know, and this could be going in a totally different direction, but when the robot overlords uh, um, inevitably show up, it's going to be entrepreneurs that are on team human like and, and, and us that are going to be kind of making the world better for people today. And I feel like, I know I've been in tech for nine years. I build accounting software, yep. you know, other sexy industries. <laughs> and, and one thing I'm noticing is that this, it's taken this long for tech companies to start to be a holistic and pay yeah. attention to our bodies. And mm. um, I think one macro trend, you know, you like, for example, headspace, headspace would, uh, if you had told me headspace was going to be as big as it, you know, right. is 10 years ago, I would have really been shocked. And so we do see kind of, I, I think technology tech, as an industry see this. And I really think that investors and people who are in stakeholders who see ahead and see past yeah. the fear of the current moment were, are really going to find that this is the future. Like this yeah. is, you know, people are going to be more open yeah. about sexually, not less. Right? right. I think I, as an invest, as a former investor, I would make the bet 10 out of 10 times that this is going to happen. I think that yep. the, the question is when, and me, right. like Gina, Polly and I, I think like as founders, it's, it's always, that's the, that's a big challenge is push, we're pushing, you know, we're yep. pushing against the system. But I think one thing that we can all say is people want this. Yeah. The, yeah. the one thing that I think sex tech founders don't struggle with is we get validation from our customers. Or product market fit. Yeah. Like, You're like, what's product market fit? And it's like, oh no, we have like a less than 1% return rate. There's no, qu- and I think that's the thing that I think is almost even like fuel to the fire where it's like, you have such evangelical customers who like will do anything for your brand and right. like are so excited about it. And I think that's the thing, at least for us. And I don't know how you guys feel, but like, that is the thing that propels us forward every day because you know that there's product market fit. You know that like philosophically there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. I think it's just being able to like have the resilience because everyone around you from an institutional perspective is going to tell you that you're crazy. I think that's such a, both points you're making. I think the validation that we're most excited about, it has not actually even been customers because it's easier to get because people are like, this is awesome. The validation that's been more exciting is kind of the man, like validation from the man feels better because it feels like, wow, that's like the harder hill to climb up. Um, so I think that that's like a really interesting kind of place to be. And I don't think a lot of other industries are that, you know, well, there's, I mean, as a, you know, as a formally investor, you see a lot of companies aren't really solving problems. They're not, you know, they're trying to create solutions where there are, where there aren't any. And, and, um, 
I haven't met a lot of sex tech founders that have that problem. It's it's mostly that we know that our, our customers are there and they really need this. And it's all this other bullshit that gets in the way. Um, we also have like super fans. Like I have one of my super users, like you, you know, spent over 150 hours on O school since we started like five wow. months ago. Um, it's from like a very rural island internationally and has come back to O school so much to like find community. And that's, that's my North star at the end of the day, right? That's the person that I know is out there and and there's just billions more like them. And um, it's really about telling our story and building brands that people feel safe and trust. Mm -hmm. And I think like one thing that, makes me kind of angry and I'd love to talk about a little bit is this should have been solved already, right? Like I, you know, I look at, I look around at the internet has enabled and it still hasn't enabled in large part half the population, which are mostly women to have solutions to this. And, uh, I don't know how, like you all, especially we're coming into arousal. Like I hold 3d printed clits up and doctors don't know what it is, right? Like most people don't know what the anatomical clitoris looks like, which by the way, I brought all of you 3d printed clits. Today, <laughs> technology, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Not to mention, it's just like there are so many, to your point, like solutions that are solved. And I think one of the problems is like that I've noticed, at least in the venture world, which inevitably is the thing that enables us to scale and grow businesses, is that everyone comes to it from their own personal perspective. And despite people who have investment theses and like whatever their rationale is, like if you're Pitching someone, I can't tell you how many times I pitched investors and they were just kind of like, yeah, but do women really need vibrators? And it's, <laughs> it's true. Or they'd be like, oh, I'm going to give this to my wife and see what she thinks. And it's just, it's difficult because it's like, I can't imagine for other scenarios in which like people are asking those questions, but I think it's really hard when oftentimes the person on the other side of the table is somebody who's not experiencing the problem that you're elaborating, which is why we see so many other, I think, solutions and categories where it's like, you know, is that really a problem? I don't know. Is there a fear that you think you encounter also that these kind of products, at least in the Unbound uh, case, are replacing men or are threatening to men? Or like, is that a question that ever comes up? Like, it I really does. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot. It does. And to me, it's just kind of like, Oh my God. Like that's cause the equivalent is like, that'd be like telling a guy that like watching porn means like you're never going to have sex. Like I think people should be given permission to just explore their sexuality and define it for themselves. Like irrespective of anybody else. Right. But I think that I, I certainly, people aren't direct, but I think they can hint at it where they're right. looking at it as if like, Oh my God, is this threatening me as a person and how I view the world as a middleman for yeah yeah to these women that are trying to create a platform for sex education for teenagers like really more like just a blog that kind of can be a safe place for that and we talked about kind of the the Maslow hierarchy of what needs to come first what needs to be taught first to teenagers and what needs to be taught first to teenagers seems like self-pleasure. The first thing that you understand is like, what is my body? What is my anatomy? How do I feel pleasure? What do I like? What don't I like? What are my boundaries before they're even having, you know, partnered sex or like bringing other people into the situation. And it's, it's interesting to think about then you bring that back to us, you know, in like adult use cases, it's like the first thing that I need is things that help me understand like what mm-hmm. I can do for me. And then next comes other things. Right? God knows the public schools aren't going to do it. I mean, we've reverted <laughs> back to abstinence only education. Only 13% of states require medically accurate information right. taught in sex ed. And so it's kind of like, if they're not going to do it, then Andrea and Someone's Gina's companies it. are going to have to like educate and create content because the private market will have to solve with the public market in the same way that Uber solved like public transportation that was shit in a lot of cities. Like 
it's the private markets will solve what public markets refuse to own, but there have to be these, I think, infrastructure, like, uh, like the infrastructure has to be available to those, to right. those private market opportunities as well. So you guys have leveraged technology to build your businesses, you know, old school with live video, e-commerce, you know, audio. How do you think new platforms will enable new types of businesses, you know, virtual reality, crypto blockchain, internet of things? I don't know. Like, how, how are you thinking about new platforms and new types of businesses in the sex tech space? For my content in particular, I'm definitely thinking Internet of Things is a huge opportunity. I mean, home speakers and, you know, saying, Alexa, play something for me. People are experiencing the kind of stuff that we're talking about in their homes, you know, before they go to sleep or in a quiet moment. So I think it's such a cool opportunity that, you know, you could kind of command something, you could command a world of objects to, you know, interact. What if that means turn the lights down? What if that means, you know, spray some scent in the air that makes me feel calm? Like, I think that'd be really interesting to start thinking about more like sensual, holistic experiences that people have in the home. Whenever I'm on panels, people are always like, sex robots, will they take over the world? <laughs> VR porn, is it going to be like, will we live with headsets on? And I'm like, dude, I do not know. <laughs> what I do know is that like, it's actually the low tech opportunities. And yeah. I think it's the fact that technology's made the barrier to entry so much lower. Like we sit on the Shopify platform and I'm like never ashamed or embarrassed to like admit that ever because it's like such an easy out of the box, low cost opportunity for anyone to start a company. If they feel like they have something to offer the world, you can 3d print prototypes. You can like do like, it's not necessarily in creating these, like, like uh, the sex robots, I don't think are going to take over the world. Cause I think fundamental, like human, like nature is connection with actually like other people. Um, but I think it's the fact that like technology becoming so ubiquitous and accessible lowers the barriers that we have increased competition. I think as an economist, increased competition always yields better, faster, like higher quality products. Mm. I agree with Polly. I think that we can't access even the more basic technology that is, is that is available. I think for O school, yes, like live streaming, something that we didn't want to have to build, right? There are people who do it, but because of the threat that we could be shut down at any point, you know, new LP joins, like yeah. wants to shut us down. That that happens all the time in sex tech, right? You could build something and have a partner helping you with a, with a piece of technology, and at any point, that technology could be pulled. From, out from under you. So we had to make the decision to, um, to build more custom software than maybe I would have liked as, you know, as a, as an early stage founder. And you face that risk both on the private and the public side, like government regulation and both. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm hit, we're, we're hit on all sides of <laughs> yeah. that for sure. Um, and so, for example, one of the things that I'm really excited about what we're building, what we're learning how to build for us, moderation is key, right? Name a space on the internet where you can talk about anything without a high risk of harassment or abuse. Good luck. Yeah, good luck, right? <laughs> Especially for sex, right? I, I did this. I When I was first starting O School, I went on a bunch of major platforms and started talking about the content that we would talk about. And it was like, all right, here's 10 dick pics on this platform. Here's just blatant harassment on another platform, right? So the internet's really not working for a lot of people. I think we gotta we got to just acknowledge that... Yes, there's like future technologies that we need to go into, but frankly, you, like no one's figured out great moderation. No one's figured out that. And so, um, of course, before you can teach a machine something to do, you have to teach a human. I always say, you know, the right. good AI and good machine, learning, all these kind of things. Yep. Um, you can't teach machines things to do that people can't do. And so we've spent a lot of time getting our moderation to be excellent because eventually as we scale, like that will be a, a great point to automate. But again, that is something that is really hard for even humans to do. And so right. there's... Uh, I think huge, there's a lot of work to do to make the internet, you know, it's a place, right? The yeah. internet's a place. Mm -hmm. And right now it's not like, it's kind of the wild, wild west. west. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dina. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
So in the next like 20, we were just talking about technology. I'm curious and government regulation and how that will evolve. Like in the next like 20 years, will like laws around porn or prostitution change or will they like, will again, it would be more, like, will everyone have like sex coaches or sex therapists or I don't, like how, how is our world sexually going to be different? Have you spoken to a 14 or 15 year old recently about sex? No, I, I, I get to, I get, no, I get to talk. What's it like? It's, it's, I met, okay. I was, let me just yeah, give you a sense. I, I've spoke to a group of, of students, um, ranging in ages, right. Um, our, our platform's an 18 and up platform, but because of, you know, we get questions and we yeah. also just, I get to talk to a lot of people of all ages about, and not just, I totally agree that masturbation should be taught, but consent. Like I've talked to, we have instructors on our platform that talk about five-year-olds, about your body is your body. You're the boss of your own body, right? So we get to interact with lots of different age groups and what's amazing to me is that people, I think, don't realize how much, how much differently people already under 18 think about these things. Well, the average the age that someone's like supposed to porn is eight years old now. Yeah, it's it's wow. really and wild. So and you have to, like, we didn't grow up in that. Like, when I grew right. up, it was like, I'm signing out the AOL. Yeah, <laughs> you might like, you might find your parents hustler, you're yeah. a playboy. And, like, I think that's totally right. I mean, the def- like, Cindy Gallup at Make Love Not Porn talks about all the time. And it's like, yeah, people are exposed to porn. And I think none of us here are against porn. We, I, for me, it's like... It's like expecting people to learn how to drive from Fast and the Furious movies. It's just not what you want, right? Um, and when I, yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk more about that. But these these young people that I've met, they're they're in open relationships. None of them are like identify as man or woman. There are like many of them who are non-binary, right? They're talking about gender and sexuality and like all these things super like much differently. Right? They were exposed not only to porn but also just to the internet. You know, they're digital natives. And I think that they're the future. Like, they're the future. We're building for them. And so I think, you know, some people say that right now we're going through this huge pendulum shift of, of, of women stepping up. And, but there's also this like other generation that's coming up that I've met and have, wow, like they're challenging a lot of norms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really excited to see how our industries benefit mm-hmm. from that. Yeah. I just think of the, the more perspectives there are. Um, the stronger the narrative and the stronger the story. So I think ideally, I mean, it sucks that like the burden I think is on sometimes people that are traditionally seen as like marginalized, but I think those people are starting to just be like, Oh, screw this man. Like enough. Like I'm not gonna, like, I'm going to create the space that I want to see in the world. And I think particularly in sex tech, we're really starting to see that happen in a pretty extreme way but it's amazing because I think you're starting to see better innovation, better quality products, more thoughtful, like design first, like all of these things that are best practices in other industries finally are reaching sex tech because back to what, what we kick things off with, I think historically it was just like very like caveman like approach to it where it was like, me want to see naked videos, you know, it's like, I like, that's what the first iteration of like sex tech was with pornography on the internet and now you're starting to see like oh but like what if we made this thoughtful and like beautiful and and like not so intimidating to people who maybe aren't so comfortable with just like the crass expectation of like just utility for utility's sake so is your model are you uh in-house creating all the content are you a marketplace for building great content on top of you how are you doing it we are, first of all, very early, so we're building everything. Yeah. Um, we want to create a pipeline for creatives to feel like they can have their content elevated by how we produce it. So we'll be producing in-house, we'll be recording in-house, we're working with different voice actors. We're kind of like the quality control hub that then makes these soundscapes out of what writers provide to us. So that's kind of the model that we're going with. We uh, want it to be something that feels really different, you know, yep. and 
the, the opportunity there is like pretty big, we think, because this is, it feels really different. Women listen to it and they say, holy crap, like, I didn't know this was a need I had until I listened. And this is different from anything I've encountered. And that's like the best of yeah. music to our ears. It's always interesting when you're trying to create new behaviors. And it seems like given how restricted sex has been both in a private and a public capacity, it seems like you know, it's a rich opportunity to, to do that. Totally. You guys are raising money, have raised money. What it, What is sort of a, besides sort of the obvious hustle and grit, what sort of a non-obvious insight you would give into your process for people out there who are trying to raise money in the space and it's difficult? I have a quick, easy answer to this because it, it just came up this morning. I think the li- the limitations of language in this space are really interesting. And I think a huge part of what will start to change for other founders of companies as things evolve is that we're going to develop a new middle language that still explains the topics that we're talking about, but feels much more commercially acceptable and friendly. And we're just stumbling upon that right now. So it's hard right now to engage in this world where you are finding better labels for things to make them feel more okay, but you know, you want to authentically talk about the companies that you are building and, you know, in a shame-free way. So I think the biggest challenge that I've really encountered on a day-to-day, like constantly check myself is what language am I using that is authentic, but that still works in a space where you're talking Mm -hmm. to investors. Mm -hmm. I also think a thing that I learned and we, I pitched at least 200 times. I got 200 no's and those are just people that actually like, were like, no, like there are a ton that just never responded before we raised our seed round of 2.7 million. And the thing that I, that took me a long time to actually like one, get comfortable doing, but two, realize like it actually made a tangible difference when I would pitch is to share whatever personal experience motivates you to do what you're doing in this, in sex tech. Cause I think from an investor perspective, they're like, who is this woman? Why is she so passionate about this? Like, cause it's a little off the like right. grid in terms of like the category in general. And like, for me, it was like, Oh, I went through cancer and I went through radiation treatment and I went through like menopause and like, it was really awful. And I ended up like at a hustler Hollywood outside the like St. Louis airport buying a vibrator. And so I think I started to lead with that vulnerability and that ability to say like, this is how I know this is a problem. It's because of, like a really terrible thing I went through to show that it's a real need. And I think you have to find that like sweet spot between like sharing that vulnerability, but also doing it in like a professional way. And so like, how can you give credibility to the fact that like, this is a problem because more often than not, you're going to be pitching to investors who probably don't understand the market and probably don't experience the problem. So how do they know that it's real? I think for me, especially coming from, you know, raising, like I've, I've been a part of a startup that raised for an accounting SAS and, now going to this, like I, I stopped. One thing that I can say really helped my process is I completely stopped trying to convince people about the core, that like the core reasons my business should exist. Right. And why that's important is because, you know, I think that with fundraising, it's so much about like, it's so much about finding the right fits and people either are going to get it or not. Like, and I'm sure Polly and Gina, you know, have experienced or, things like this. But as soon as someone would say something just super sexist or completely like misinformed, I used to, you know, it, it, now I just like close my laptop and walk out the room and it saved me a lot have of time. Have you really done that? Yeah. That's badass. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I'm not that ballsy. Like I would just be like, okay, thanks for your time. Um, get back to them. This doesn't happen often, right? Cause most people yeah. aren't assholes. Yeah, most yeah. people just like ask really misinformed things. I wish I could but do that though. One thing I did because I'll never forget it. I was sitting in the Ritz in downtown San Francisco and an investor I will not name said after my pitch, she said, Andrea, I don't understand. 
if you want women to have more pleasure, then you have, you're doing the wrong thing. If you want to, if you want women to have more pleasure, you have to teach the men because men give women pleasure. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, um, not only did I walk out of that one, but I, uh, when he asked me what the valuation was, I added like a couple, like $5 million to it. I'm like, for you, which you shouldn't do, which is not a good thing to do. It was just really, you know, upsetting. Yeah. And it was the first times, but I think like, especially if there's any sex tech or, you know, aspiring sex tech founders out there, like your deal is not for everyone. And the more that you can quickly assess who your deal is for and move on like that, I wish that I had done that sooner. I think that I thought that, you know, having been in the Valley for some time that it would have, you know, it would have helped, but I still had so many people, some of them I was lucky enough were straight with me. Like Andrea, I love what you're doing. I know there's a big market. RLPs would hate this. Andrea, I love what you're doing. You know, you have a great team. There's just no way I could get this through my partnership, you know? And I, I, I'm actually, if you're an investor out there, do that. Please say that. Like, that helped me. I think I look back and appreciate all that time. And I think what's non-obvious about this is that, you know, people don't put whether how sex how sex positive they are on their yeah. angel list, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, from... I pitched a female angel group once, man. And like, I wanted to like crawl off the floor. It was so bad. It was like this older group of women who had like had very prominent careers on Wall Street. And like, I think for them in like the eighties and nineties had distanced themselves from their sexuality in order to be like, I'm a badass financial on Wall Street. And like when I went in and pitched, they just literally like at the end of Q and A, not one person asked a question. And the other thing I would say is like, if, if people don't believe you, show them. Like, we bootstrapped for two and a half years, and we were generating over $100,000 in monthly revenue before people would take meetings with us. Uh-huh. So, like, it's because it is a category that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, you're going to have to prove to them. And don't be deterred by that, because I, I do get a lot of people that reach out to me and be like, Hundred is the money, and then they'll show me what they're working on. I'm like, okay, you don't have traction, you don't have users, you don't have revenue, And like in this category, you're going to have to prove that out, especially if you're a first time founder. And I don't think that's even unique to sex tech. I think it's just something where it's like, you can't expect to just roll up and be like, this is my idea. I deserve all this money. And so I think it's, if if people don't believe you in the idea, you have to show them and you have to be willing to show them and you have to be willing to stick it out. um, Because inevitably they will listen when the numbers are there. The silver lining of that, I guess, the best thing about, you know, all the work that you put in is that you end up with someone who's on your side, believes in your product and thinks that it should exist in the world. And that's something that my co-founder and I talk about a lot. It's about finding someone who really thinks it should be. And those people are out there. They're just hard to find. On that note, thank you guys for coming yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us.